we have the great legendary Dr. E. Michael Jones. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Thank you. Good to be here. A man who needs zero introduction, but I will do so anyways, out of respect. Uh, Dr. Jones has been a rebel and a culture warrior since before many of us in the, quote, movement have been born. Uh, one year into his tenure, he got fired for opposing abortion in a Catholic university, which is totally insane. And I think that really kicked off Dr. Jones's revolutionary spirit to be uh, a crusader of the culture war, if you will. Uh, he speaks quite a bit about uh, the Jesuits and the Rockefellers uh, corrupting both American society and the Catholic Church, if I have that correct, which I found very interesting. And he speaks as well at culturewars.com about how cultural warfare has advanced the interests of the American empire and its systems of political control. So without further ado, Dr. Jones, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Good to be here. Yeah, much appreciated. So, uh, yeah, we we're just talking offline there. Uh, you said top of mind for you right now is uh, Ireland. So why don't we quickly dive into that before we get moving here? Yeah, so uh, just a few days ago, there was a riot in Dublin. Uh, the story was that uh, some Muslim immigrant had talking stabbed uh, three Irish girls. And so the people took to the street and then it turned violent. They were burning buses and so on and so forth. So uh, I've been dealing uh, with a lady there uh, by the name of Gemma O'Doherty for years now. We've been on her podcast been trying to talk about the situation in Ireland. And uh, she was one of the people that jumped in and said uh, she thinks it's a false flag. Mm -hmm. uh, she has reason to believe this because um, they have been going after her, the Irish government. Uh, has completely capitulated to the oligarchs. It's a uh, an outpost of the oligarchs. They took it over when Google showed up there uh, years ago, uh, along with Big Pharma. And uh, Google has been running the country ever since, largely by manipulating public opinion. That's true. It's the uh, tax rates. That's uh, all, They're all there because Ireland has 0% corporate tax. Right. Uh, to their dismay, yeah. yeah. So... Uh, the result that these uh, the oligarchs um, decided that uh, there were it was a great place and uh, the only obstacle was the Irish people. So they decided to get rid of the Irish people. Uh, and they did this through uh, ethnic cleansing uh, and uh, basically replacing them with uh, people from elsewhere. I don't know how it happened, but they have an, uh, an Indian homosexual now who's the T-Sick or the the prime minister, who is so obviously views the people that he represents as some type of enemy of mankind. Not just, he, it's not just he hates them. He has to portray them as enemies of the entire human race. And he does this by saying that they are white. He announced, he stood up in front of the, uh, the Dale, the parliament, and said, there are too many white people in Ireland. You're here what is he talking about? What are we talking about here? Well, so at this point, zero. I so obviously I, there's too many. I, well, I jumped in and I said there are no white people in Ireland because the Irish aren't white. And I said, uh, and I said, I said that uh, if any Irishman who thinks he's white is the victim of identity theft. And you should have seen the response. I mean, fury. Who is this guy I think he is? So I, you know, like, who are you? You don't even live over here. Well, I said, well, I'm, I'm half Irish. Does that make me half right? Uh, and so I went back and forth on this thing. There are thousands of, of responses. I don't know whether they're real or not. Because Gemma was in the middle of this type of thing. And she, what you see here, okay, let's assume that these are real people. I don't think they are, but. Let's assume that they're real people who are doing this. What you have is Veradikar saying there are too many white people. Immediately, the, the Irish people identify as white and they fall right into his trap. Because if you're white, you're a racist. And if you're a racist, you're bad. And so they immediately identified, they immediately uh, uh, internalized the commands of their oppressors 
and said, Veronica's right, and, and we're going we're gonna to do something. And then there's the riot, and now the government that demonized its own people uh, is now calling for hate crimes legislation and uh, all this type of stuff. It's not, he's not all that different than Justin Trudeau in the sense that this man was anointed by people in the World Economic Forum as the up-and-coming leader. He's uh, presumably the son of a previous prime minister, although that's been disputed, I hear. Some, a lot of people say he's uh, Fidel Castro was his father. Yep. His mother was uh, one hot chick in the 1970s. I remember this. She would go to Studio 54 in New York and disco her the nights away with people like Mick Jagger. Yeah. But what he learned was that uh, you never get anywhere by representing the interest of your own people. You only have a career if you represent the interest of the, of the big, powerful people, the people who have money. And that has become pretty much the paradigm for uh, the entire world. Yep. Now, I can think of a few exceptions. Uh, like Mr. Orban in Hungary seems to be interested in representing the interest of the Hungarian people. But for the most part, that's the only example. Everyone else is representing anybody but the people that they say they're representing. So the classic example, uh, as of the day before yesterday, is this guy, Javier Malay yeah. from Argentina. This, this guy uh, should be in therapy. He's got serious psychological problems. He identifies with his four dogs. He has a, he has a, a psychic communion with one of his dead dogs. Uh, why did, why did they, why, did, how did he win this election? It's very simple. He got the approval of the Jews in Argentina. And then he started talking as if he were a Jew. And then as soon as he got elected, he rushed up to New York to, um, say a prayer at the tomb of the Jewish Messiah, who st we're still waiting for this guy to come back from the dead. It only took Jesus three days to come back from the dead. This guy's going on years now. But Menachem Schneerson, classic example of what we're talking about, where uh, the first thing that any elected official has to do now is swear allegiance to Israel and not to his own people. How do we get in this, this situation? I mean, Dr. Jones... If you're a good Christian, obviously you support the Holy Land, no? What's that got to do with anything? Well, I, I, they... I, 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 support, I, do so, I do believe that Jesus Christ walked in that land, but I think it's now been taken over by a bunch of thugs from Poland. I don't mean to defame the Polish people. These are Jews from Poland who came and uh, basically uh, engaged in terrorism and ethnic cleansing to gain control of the country, and they, they've done nothing other than that for the past 75 years. And the latest example is what they're doing now to the Palestinians in Gaza, war crimes against uh, innocent civilians, women and children in Gaza. Well, don't they just have to break a few eggs? That's As what Lenin said. <laughs> That's what Lenin said. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy craziness. And I really want to get into that. Uh, first though, taking a few steps back, uh, I want to thank you for your, I think the single biggest contribution you've made to American political landscape is calling America one big gay disco. <laughs> I love Thank your you. intro. And so can you can you speak to that? Why you put that in your intro? Yeah, well, we that, my, my, assist, my assistant, Mike Bajakis, made that video. Legend. So he deserves the credit. Uh, but uh, I, I was inspired because I went to uh, Berlin. I lived in Germany from 73 to 76. And then I, uh, people called me over. They wanted me to give a speech. So I showed up in Berlin for the first time since 1975. And needless to say, it's completely different. The wall has gone, except in certain parts as a kind of historical memorial. Uh, and I re was there at the, basically the center, which is the, uh, the, uh, that big uh, gate, the Brandenburger tour. Uh, and right next to it is the American embassy. So, oh, good, the American embassy. Uh, and I'm looking in there, and there's the Berlin bear. I'm just looking into the lobby. Uh, the Berlin bear is the symbol of Berlin, and he's wearing the gay, the gay banner. He's wearing the uh, rainbow flag. So I thought, well, this is interesting. I didn't know the, uh, the Berlin bear was a homosexual. Who knew? But uh, 
Then there's a plaque beside it, and it says that this is in memorial of the Pulse Disco shooting in Orlando, Florida. That was a gay disco. And I suddenly, wait a minute, this is the official installation of the United States of America. And they are putting this flag up because uh, to celebrate or not to, to commemorate the shooting at a gay disco. And I thought, well, America's one big gay disco. Uh, And I think I'm right. I think I'm right. Maybe I'm a little, maybe it's a little dated now, but I think that's exactly right. And then, so everything sort of flows from that. So uh, are you ready to die for the gay disco? If if so, then you should go to the Ukraine uh, and you can die for the gay disco over there because that's what we support. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's hilarious and it's also true, right? We we really do see this perniciousness in society. And when I was younger, I was actually liberal and I got really bought into the idea of acceptance and inclusiveness and, you know, because I think that can come from a place of compassion. But what I see now is that they largely weaponize compassion to put, you know, very debauched evil things on us and especially kids. And so I think right. that's one of the many things that you're pushing back on in your work, I would say. Yeah, it. Uh, for, you're right. They, I think that the the revolutionaries understood the that the Achilles heel of Western culture was its Christianity, mm-hmm. because you could uh, appeal to Christianity and, you know, things like uh, mercy and the forgiveness of sins at a time when these have all been disconnected from the other values that made them worthwhile, like, you know, uh, the, the right to uh, defend yourself, the right to, uh, self-defense, both on a national and personal level, that type of thing. It got disconnected. Love got disconnected from truth. Mm. And that's uh, always a bad situation. And that's why we ended up this way. I think the man who understood that was Antonio Gramsci, who uh, wrote his notebooks when he was in prison in Italy, he understood the how to subvert a conservative Christian culture like Italy. And the same thing happened with Ireland. In other words, the, the, the Irish, the, the, you could tell why an Irishman is white because it means he stopped going to church. And once you stop going to church, that's what a white boy is. He's a, a, a usually a Protestant who stopped going to church. But now in Ireland, it's a Catholic who stopped going to church. And as a result, you have this residual value that you picked up, but it's been totally secularized and weaponized hmm. to, to and be used to destroy you. Yeah. So in Germany, in Germany, they say they welcome the the immigrants. Uh, because it tells you to welcome the stranger in the scriptures. But, and they're playing on that. The Jews who orchestrated this mass migration understand that, and they understand they can play on that. And so these Christians think they're being Good secularized by welcoming and weaponized. the stranger without seeing that it's, it's a mass migration. This is a weapon. When, you know, when you're talking about one or two people, that's one thing. But when waves upon waves of people... Oh, are being insane. sent into your country. They're doing it here. It's it's an attempt to destroy your country. Yeah, they're doing it here. It's a million. Well, I think that you're. I, I think Ireland and Canada are very similar in this regard. You've got the same type of operation in both countries. Yeah. I don't. Which is more advanced in terms of thought crimes? Uh, I would say Canada. I don't yeah. know. Canada. Canada probably yeah. is. I I just learned that my video was banned. My attack on Michael Voris was banned in Canada. Yeah, I saw. Wait that. a minute. That guy was a homophobe. You should welcome me I, because uh, I was uh, attacking a homophobe, but that's not what it is. So you, you, had, that, you had that happening with, uh, with the, the Canadians too, with the Irish, with the Canadians, the Australians. Yeah. They tried to do it there. All of these former colonies with this kind of residual Christianity is being weaponized uh, to, so that they, they destroy themselves. Yeah. No, 100%. And um... – Man, so there's a lot I want to get to today. I know we only have an hour. Maybe we'll do a, a part two if you're willing. But um, something that really, really stood out to me about your work on the issue of societal control was your book, um, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. And in it, you basically right. postulate that those who wish to liberate man from the moral order 
needed to impose societal controls as soon as they succeeded because liberated libido led inevitably to anarchy. And, and I found this idea fascinating, fascinating. And you kind of see similar tones in like Brave New World and stuff like that. So um, and today we just see like the pornification of every aspect of life. So right. I'd be super interested right. to get your positions on this and, and how it's used as a tool of control. Yeah, well, Canada leads the world here, don't they? The, there is, isn't porn hub, hub located in Canada? I think, I so, think it's actually, a Canadian yeah. operation. Yeah. And guess who runs Pornhub now? Guess who owns Pornhub now? It's a rabbi. Right? A rabbi, Solomon Friedman. Ah, just a coincidence. Wait a, wait a minute. This, there's something that needs to be explored here. Why is a man of God uh, promoting, not a promoting, owning uh, the biggest porn out, what used to be the biggest porn outlet in the world? Why is that? Well, because... Uh, Sexual liberation is a form of control. The Jews have always been in charge of pornography. There's never been a time when they haven't been in charge of pornography. And the, the people who write the books about it talk about it this way. So they'll brag about it at a certain point. But if you say it, then they'll call you an anti-Semite. But the, if why is they rabbi the uh, promoting pornography? It's well, great... because he knows it's a form of control. He knows it, that it weakens the goyim, and that's what Jews love to do. They are never a, a minority in any culture, and they, whenever they get there, they always feel that uh, everybody hates them, which is probably true after a while. And so they have to weaken this people so that they don't hate them too much or, or hurt them. And so they try and corrupt the morals of the country whenever they get there. And this is an example, uh, a classic example. I, when I wrote the book, the book came out in 2003. 2004, the Israelis invaded Ramallah and took over the TV stations and started broadcasting pornography. I've given that speech all over true? the world, but it's not in the book because, of course, it's true. I, I gave that speech twice, once in Washington, once in uh, Switzerland. And in both instances, there were Palestinians in the audience who said they witnessed it. They saw it firsthand and said it was much worse than, than what I saw. But that, that I couldn't include in the book because the book came out one year before it. But what happened is that the Israelis vindicated my thesis and proved that I was right by doing that. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. So what do you think is the mechanism? Is it just that they're focused on this so they're not having kids is it that it's a spiritual attack like what do you like why do you think this harms society so deeply saint saint augustine said a man has as many masters as he has vices okay and he said that to to warn you to warn christians uh, so that they would avoid vice and uh by being moral people by following the moral law but if you think about it, it's a formula for control. Because if you're interested in mastering someone, then you would take this and say, oh, I guess I promote vice. And that's exactly what happened over the period of time that I described in that book, beginning in uh, with the French Revolution with the Marquis de Sade. What you have is basically 200 years of more and more sophisticated forms of control because they get inside you. So what they do is they take your desires. We all have disordered desires because of original sin. And what these people do is say, they say, uh, well, we're going to manipulate those desires, but we'll call it freedom. Hmm. And the person will be so interested in pursuing his own desires, he'll identify with them and say, if I can do that, I must be free because I want to do it. Hmm. And that is the fundamental flaw behind us. And so what happens, you get involved in that and you realize that what Aquinas said, which is that lust makes you blind. Yep. So you can't see things clearly. And if you can't see things clearly, you're vulnerable. You, you're vulnerable to attack. Uh, and But you're also easy, easy to lead. You can be easily manipulated. And you put all those things together. And that's why the, the hidden grammar of sexual liberation is always political control. The people on top understand that. They allow things to happen. They allow 
the legalization of pornography, which never happened before. This happened over a period of time where the Jews grew in power after the Holocaust. Happened, uh, before that, the Catholics held the line in, in like America. But after the, whole, the, the Holocaust was the weapon that the Jews used to break down the moral fiber of both the United States and Canada. So in the United States, the, the, the movie that did it was uh, called The Pawn Broker, uh, which was, I discover in my late, I discuss in my latest book, The Holocaust Narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Holocaust porn. They basically, the Hollywood used the Holocaust to put uh, naked women on the screen. And that's been a fixture of Holocaust porn ever since. Basically, every Holocaust movie has to have ladies take their clothes off, uh, including Schindler's List. Holocaust porn that was like number one in Israel? Like it was an Israeli-made porn for Israelis about the Holocaust as like the plot line? I've they, they, had, uh, had, they had comic books that were known as Holocaust porn. Okay. But uh, the movie, the movie you may be thinking of is Ilza She Wolf of the SS. Okay, uh, uh, that became the classic Holocaust porn film. And uh, there's a lady who's by the name of Tova Reich who wrote a book called My Holocaust, which is a satire of the whole Holocaust industry, because her husband was head of the Holocaust Museum in in Washington D.C. So she knew the whole story from the inside. And in that movie. All the, uh, the the Israelis who come there, uh, the Jews, they go back to the hotel and they watch Ilza the She-Wolf of the SS because, uh, because I don't know, because it's funny to watch. Oh, man. Yeah, that's messed up stuff. Well, yeah, I do really appreciate it. By the way, I, 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 wanted to say, I, want, I wanted to say this also happened in Canada in a different way with a guy by the name of uh, Morgenthaler. Okay. You, do you remember this? Are you too young to remember this? There was a time when abortion was illegal in Canada. Uh, And this guy, Henry Morgenthaler, a Jew, showed up and he created all of these illegal abortion clinics all throughout Canada. Really? I didn't know that. And the police would show up. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, this is is the the real story of abortion in Canada. Wow. So when the – when – the police would show up. He had them in Toronto. I think it was, it was all in Toronto. All this took place. The police would show up to shut down the illegal clinic. And, and you know what Morgan Thalett would do? He'd roll up his sleeve, and guess what he'd show? Oh, the the oh, Holocaust, no. the Auschwitz tattoo. The Auschwitz tattoo. No. And once you showed the, the Auschwitz tattoo on your arm, you were immune from prosecution. And so he could open one abortion clinic after another in Canada. And finally, they just rolled over and played dead and say, well, uh, the Jew was in Auschwitz. So therefore, uh, we have to allow abortion. That is the exact argument that led to abortion, uh, no the way. legalization of abortion in Canada. You should. Yeah, way. You got to check it out. Yeah. Henry Morgenthau. OK. OK, I'll check it, that out. It's in my book, The Holocaust Narrative, but it's. It's well known. If you ask someone who's over the age of 23, or uh, maybe they would I'm know about that. No, it's, it's not common knowledge at all. Okay. Or, um, maybe, maybe older than that. Maybe 43. I don't know. But it, is, it happened in the 60s. I mean, he, he died. Just Google it. Type in Henry Morgenthaler. M-A-M-O-R-G-E-N-T-H-A-L-E-R. Yeah, my internet's slow as hell. I will check this out. There, yeah, Canadian champion of women's rights, <laughs> Henry Morgenthaler, abortion rights activist. Doctor Henry Morgenthaler dies at ninety. Talking about his legacy, CBC, abortion crusader. Okay, deeply divided Canadian. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm gonna have to look into that. Good, but okay, on the abortion front. So, Dr. Jones, you're kind of an enigma to me. I don't fully understand you. I respect you. Um, But on the Catholicism thing, right? So you speak about abortion in 1979, and you get kicked out of basically the uh, your Templar Temple College, and then... No, 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 no. Wait, stop, stop. I received my PhD from Temple University in 1979. Okay. 
That's a secular state university in Philadelphia. Okay. Then I got a job teaching at St. Mary's College in South, outside of South Bend, Indiana, across the street from Notre Dame. I was given a tenure track position in American yeah. literature. Okay. And that's where I got fired one year after I got there for being against abortion. Right. So I, I just find that absolutely incredible. And even back in 1979, and when I – look you up you're either being criticized by the adl or other hate groups or it's catholics saying that you're totally insane to fight against the lgbt and trans and gay stuff so i mean are you basically a catholic in exile now or like where are you at there <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good that's a good way of putting it i'll give i'll give you an example recent example i went to was invited to dallas to speak uh, so they, the people who invited me uh, uh, rented the Knights of Columbus Hall. I am a Knight of Columbus. That is a fraternal organization, which means you're supposed to be brothers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't have to have win the Nobel Prize to become a Knight of Columbus. Just, you know, show up, be a Catholic guy. Well, uh, they, uh, they poke on the Catholic website, the Knights of Columbus called and canceled my contract. They violated my contract. This, this is violating the law here. I'm a Knight of Columbus. Why are you doing this? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because you're right saying that I am in a sense a Catholic in exile. I'm a Catholic in good standing. I belong to a parish here in South Bend, Indiana. There's no question about my bona fides as a Catholic. But if I show up in Dallas and uh, people go to the bishop, somebody complains to the bishop. Do you know what the bishop will do? He will Google my name. And yeah. if you Google my name, the first thing that will come up will the, be the ADL's attack on me. So the ADL now has, uh, they have, they determine whether I am a Catholic in good standing. The Jews determine whether I'm a Catholic in good standing. Yeah, I've seen you talk about that. So, but at least with your, uh, um, your church, you guys are cool. Like if they support you, they know what you're doing, or they supporters of you do they tolerate you do they think yeah i'm no the pastor i i spent six weeks in india with the pastor he's an indian yeah um he supports me of course he supports me okay i'm a catholic in good standing a member of the parish okay now we can get into the story here uh the the jews rattled the bishop's cage uh there was a, 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 a someone who worked for Camera by the name of Dexter Van Zyl. Camera's a Jewish propaganda outlet. Okay. And he's, he's a paid character, character assassination. So he wrote to the bishop. And the bishop wrote a, uh, a letter uh, about anti-Semitism. And in the original version, he mentioned my name. But before he'd done that, he had asked an assistant to do read all my work and the assistant handed in a report and he said Jones is not an anti-Semite and if you put this in I'm resigning so he took my name out of it and published the thing uh, and then I saw he shows show up at the uh, he shows up at my our parish and you know we're just talking as if it's old times and we're buddies again so I'm obviously even in good standing with the bishop now so that's that okay. What what you're seeing here is this type of conflict here between the church and the world. Why is the church adopting the world's val the world? I mean, the ADL, the Jews who run our country. Yeah. Why are they adopting those values? Well, didn't you, you've laid out a few times or kind of hinted that it's the Jesuits, and I just want to set this up. So I was I was formerly a uh, Seventh Day Adventist. So they taught basically. I don't know if you know this, but they think that the Roman, like the Catholic Church in its current manifestation, is the Antichrist. And I've also heard you talk about um, the Jesuit infiltration of the current Catholic Church in Rome, too, or I believe. And so, yeah, I, I would yeah. just be interested to get your positions on that in terms of, like, do you think the current Catholic Church and the Pope and all of that is been infiltrated by Jesuits and maybe you could dig into that. Yeah. Have you been to Burian Springs? No. That's, that's the, the Vatican for the seventh day Adventist. That's yeah. the headquarters of seventh day Adventism. Yeah, I never went. And, uh, it's like, uh, 
10 miles north of here. Just to, to so wh what am I talking about, the, the Jesuits? There's a thin line here, okay, because I can complain about the state of the church, and if I do it in a certain way, I'll drive people away from joining the Catholic Church, which is not my intention. Yeah. So uh, the church is a supernatural institution. So in a sense, it can't fail because it's supernatural. If it, The fact that it still exists is a sign that it can't fail because there have been so many sinners and incompetent people in the church over two millennia that they would have destroyed it a long time ago. And that's precisely what that the Pope said to Napoleon when he said, Napoleon said he's going to destroy the church. The Pope said, if we bishops haven't done it yet, you won't be able to do it. So there's always this dual nature here of whether it's a supernatural institution, supernatural institution run by men who are sinners. And there's always going to be some type of conflict here. But even with that conflict, uh, if you get down to ground level to the parish, uh, these uh, disruptions generally don't have a significant effect in most parishes. They do, uh, but it's waning now. So when I'm talking about the Jesuits, I'm talking about the people who created Canada. Yeah. Uh, the Jesuits, the French Jesuits who arrived uh, in Quebec uh, in the 17th century. Uh, absolutely heroic figures who would start off to evangelize the Indians. I mean, think, think about this. They did something, something similar in Paraguay. You walk off into the woods and you meet people that have never seen people like you've never seen a European before. Uh, how do you even talk to them? Well, what the Jesuits did, one of the Jesuits uh, basically went off on the moose hunt on the Gaspé Peninsula. Okay. Uh, because he had to live with them to learn the language, you know, and you had to wait till the snow was waist deep and then you got snowshoes and you stabbed the moose to death and then you sat there and ate the moose in your teepee uh, where the temperature inside the teepee was 110 degrees and outside it was 40 below zero. And so you got the Jesuit with his mouth down in the dust, breathing under the tent flap, breathing something that isn't smoke, uh, saying the, these Indians, these savages spend their lives in smoke and eternity in flames. They were heroic people. And the fact is that they created Canada. Uh, yeah. At least the original, the original idea of Canada until the English conquered it. Well, over a period of time, uh, you know, they came to America and in America, they became corrupted. Uh, and the main vehicle of their corruption was the, anti-communist crusade of the 1950s. We're talking about right after World War II. Uh, and they were opposed to communism, it seemed natural. Of course we were opposed to communism, but what they did was adopt the American civic religion as part of the deal, and that's where the problem started, and that's what led to the crisis today. And I had a front row seat, I was at a Jesuit college as an undergraduate, and the world changed Halfway through 1968, the revolution swept through the college, and I didn't get the education that I could have uh, if that hadn't happened. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, like, you speak a lot about the Jews and Jewish power of control, right? And you make a good case. Also, Adam Green and others, you know, they, they put lay a lot of that groundwork for Jewish supremacy and all of that. Um but then I've heard in the SDA community, they talk about Jesuits and the papacy being, you know, the ring of power and control being behind the World Economic Forum, the New Age movement and all of these things. Like, do you think that's true? Like, like how would you rate Jesuit power versus Jewish power on the world stage? Well, they're they're not uh, they're not completely exclusive. I mean, what we're if you're talking about American Jesuits, particularly the Jesuits, in New York City, uh, who were uh, associated with America Magazine, which is the Jesuit magazine, you have uh, groups that uh, have accepted, uh, I think, American hegemony over the world. And if you do that, you're accepting Jewish hegemony because America is controlled by Jews. And so you end up with uh, America Magazine or the Jesuits receiving money from George Soros. Uh, 
uh, and so adopting his principles, that's close to the World Economic Forum. But there's there's a more important vector here, and that's homosexuality. Okay. Because the oligarchs promote sexual deviance, and homosexuality is one of the things they promote. And it's what we talked about at the beginning. Sexual liberation is a form of control. If you have a Jesuit who is a homosexual, it's easy to control him because you can manipulate his passions. The Jesuits who are homosexuals, and I'm, I'm going to say flat out that the homosexuals control the Jesuit order right now. Uh, that doesn't yeah. mean every Jesuit is a homosexual, but it means that they do control uh, the, the, or the, the direction of the order. And I'm saying this because I knew a Jesuit who told me this. His name order. was Paul Mankowski. <laughs> Paul Mankowski was a brilliant guy, a Jesuit. He, lived, he grew up here not far from where I live now. And he told me this. He told me basically that he was being persecuted by the order, that he was being held back, even though he should have had a prominent position in the order. Wait, for not Simply being because gay? of his education and because, because yes, he, was he was not persecuted gay? for not being gay. No, no, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. I'm saying you have to go along with the agenda. You have to approve it. You don't have to necessarily be a homosexual, although that would probably help. But you can't criticize homosexuals or you can't contest their hegemony over the order. That's the crucial issue. Okay. And he was blacklisted because of that. Wow. Well, like when you get into a lot of, you know, studying secret societies generally, you know, they talk not just about homosexuality. I mean, it goes a lot deeper with, you know, child stuff and you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to get too graphic, but. I mean, I, I would take I would take the gay world order over the uh, Pizzagate world order. <laughs> Any comment on that? Because it seems about uh, why are they just... different? They're the same thing, right? They're the same thing. Oh, so you don't like separate the two, or or you see it as just no, as pernicious? No. Like, okay. Yeah, I mean, well, it's the same thing. I mean, to draw this uh, artificial line at the age of eighteen and, and say that. If you're over the age of 18, it's the most noble thing you can do. But if you're one day under the age of 18, it's the most heinous crime you can imagine. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's a legal fiction. Oh, I understand that. Uh, I mean, here in Canada, we actually now have Pride season. So it was Pride Parade, then Pride Week, then Pride Month, and then Trudeau just literally made all of summer last year Pride season. And so eventually, it, like it's going to be just gay celebrations. When, when, when you can, we, you're going to have to ask for permission not to celebrate homosexuality. <laughs> can we have a special day? Like we're exhausted from celebrating homosexuality. Can we have a day off, Justin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, not on his watch, though. You know, or the cup is crumbling. But, but I mean, let's get let's get back let's get back to this crucial moment because Canada was the crucial the center of the universe for a yeah. while with that trucker convoy. Yep. The entire world was watching it, and so what happened? What happened? A lady just wrote the book. It's. I wish I had her name because I I just did a review of the book in Culture Wars magazine. A Canadian lady wrote a really good book about what happened. Yeah, Tamara Lee. So the truckers show up. No, she's the head of the uh, the trucker strike. This is just a journalist. Okay. Cynthia Sad, it's S A apostrophe D. Okay. I think that's her name. Uh, maybe uh, is she Palestinian or something? Anyway, I don't know what, uh, but she co-authored with some lady. Good book about what happened here. So what happened? So what happened? The truckers show up. This is part that I didn't know about. There's a a, a Jew, Bernie Farber. Yeah. who runs Canadians Against Hate, a completely yep. bogus operation, complete yep. bullshit operation. Yep. Bernie Farber takes a walk uh, uh, down through Ottawa, and he looks down, and there next to the trucker's tire is a piece of paper. And the piece of paper says, uh, Jews control the media, and then list all these people. That came from, that came from Florida. Why is, <laughs> why is this trucker guilty because there was a piece of paper next to his wheel. Why is he guilty of something that came from Florida? Do you know why? Because Bernie Farber said so. Uh, maybe okay? he had something to do the, with, I was going to say, he maybe had something to do with the swastika. So day one, on the actual parliament, 
these group of Nazis came out of the actual government building that was in lockdown and they had like swastikas and were wa- waving them on the parliament yeah. in a restricted building yeah. and then went back inside. And then first night on the news, it was like far right neo-Nazis Christ, on parliament. Christ, they're, they're crisis actors. You yeah, can pay yeah. people to do this. 100%. The same thing happened here in Florida. Basically, so the guy who did this is called uh, Handsome Truth, and he's got this group in Florida called the Goyim Defense League. I think they're double <laughs> agents. So okay. uh, Elon Musk is fighting the ADL, going toe-to-toe with the ADL, trying to say, no, just because we have free speech doesn't mean we're anti-Semitic. The day he's arguing with the ADL, the Goyim Defense League set up a demonstration in uh, Florida on a bridge, all with Nazi uniforms, all saying Heil Hitler. Uh, yeah. It's exactly, exactly what happened in Canada. You used the Holocaust narrative to basically uh, destroy the people's freedom. So after this happens, after Bernie Farber does this, uh, this lady, Yara Sachs, she's a minister, a member of parliament. She stands up and guess what the first thing out of her mouth is? First thing she says. I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Yeah, it's every time. That means. That means you have to accept what she says. So you just roll over and play dead. And then she said, this is the famous quote out of this whole thing. Honk, honk equals Heil Hitler. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Yeah, you know know what's going on. I like that you're uh, keeping up on us Canadians. I appreciate that. Well, Canada was the center of the universe at that point. Everybody was watching. And so instead of Trudeau, uh, oh, we, these are my people. Let's let me talk to them. No, he plays the Holocaust card, demonizes Canadians all as a bunch of anti-Semites and racists as a way of justifying thought, more thought control. This man does not represent the Canadian people. No, not at all. The, the level of hate you cannot you cannot comprehend. It's insane. Uh, I have friends who um, who have who have friends who work on his security detail and he says it's spicy. Like they, they, they never disclose, but I think almost every day people are, uh, trying things. I'll just say that. And so it's, it's absurd. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, what I say, sexual liberation is a form of control. Any public leader who engages in any type of illicit sexual activity, I guarantee you he's being photographed when it happens. Yeah. I guarantee you someone's doing that, and then they use blackmail to uh, uh, you know, bring this guy under control. Apparently he just divorced his wife. Apparently yeah. she can't put up with it anymore. Yeah. Well, it was really funny, actually. He had a, a Band-Aid on his head and in his forehead. First it was a mark. Like it looked like he been hit with an ice pick or something and then the next day he had the band-aid and he came out and said uh we're getting divorced so people (laughs) joke that she like threw a stiletto at him or hit him in the Mm -hmm. face said finally you have to admit because we all knew for about three four years now that they were separated it was just you know politics so people people think finally she you know threw a a high heel shoe at his face to make it happen or something yeah yeah. This is not. This is the. This is the rule. It's not the exception when it comes to countries throughout the world. It's the rule, and it's not the exception. And that's the political crisis that we're dealing with now. Yeah. Do you see the tides turning? Like I, I see more and more people becoming aware of a lot of the, the schemes and scams and scripts, and especially on the Twitterverse, people, really waking up to a lot of the things you're talking about. Are you? Are you optimistic? Do you, do you think we're at a turning yeah, point? Or? I am. I wrote Logos Rising is a very optimistic book. Because why, why am I optimistic? Because God is in charge of human history. And he allows things because of, he has to allow things, evil because of free will. He created man with free will. But then he takes evil and turns it into good. That is the course of human history. And you can't argue with, with God. You know, of course you can argue with God, but I mean, you can't, uh, you can't thwart his plan because you're not God and he is. So it's going to happen. And all, all action begins with consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing now is we're raising consciousness. Yeah. And how do you, where do you see things at? Right. So I had Adam Green on, you know, he spoke a lot about Jewish prophecy and, you know, the end times and they really want to get, you know, 
you know, Israel, Israel needs to destroy the temple or get access and, you know, all of that. Do, do you see the kind of Jewish prophecies playing out on the world stage right now? Do you think they're going to be yeah. successful? Yeah. Where do you think we're at with yeah, all that? The man, the, man, the man who said this was Ehud Barak. Ehud Barak is a former prime minister of Israel. And he's haunted by this idea. No Jewish kingdom has lasted longer than 80 years. Israel is 75 years old, and he thinks it's just the curse of 80 years, and that's all the time that God has given him. And so this leads to a kind of desperation, like we got to do something to, to thwart this curse, and the one thing they think they have to do is rebuild the temple. Yeah. And that's what that's what set off the whole Al-Aqsa flood uh, Hamas attack on Israel. Yeah. It's when the Israelis went in and tried to take over the take over the destroy the mosque, take over the mosque as a preparation to destroying it because the mosque is built on the foundation of the second temple. You think they're going to be able to pull it off though? Cuz I see a no. lot of like even no. the war, I think they want World War 3 and man the the Arabs are being pretty chill about it they haven't really retaliated they've been being calm even as israel attacks them you know and then the actual spirit of people in general does not want world war three in america people are you know I i'm pretty optimistic but what do you what do you think they cannot rebuild the temple there's a chapter in the jewish revolutionary spirit about julia the apostate when he tried to rebuild the temple and so the, you know, the, the, he wanted to cut a deal with the Jews. He needed their help to invade Persia. Asked them what they wanted. They said, we need to rebuild the temple. And he said, it's no problem. We'll do it. And they brought in the best engineer in uh, Roman Empire, Olypius. The Jews went crazy. They started throwing money. They're going to bring, the women are bringing their gold so it can be melted down and put to the temple. And when the first stone, they cleared off the rubble, the first stone hits the foundation, fire erupts from the earth and kills all the Jews. That was recorded by three people, and only one of them was a Catholic. One was an Aryan, and the other one was a pagan. All three were there, eyewitnesses to what happened then. So you think that was divine intervention? Well, what do you think? <laughs> I think so, because what God once destroyed, no man can rebuild. It was one of these interventions of supernatural, a supernatural event in human history. Happened a number of times, the message, the miracle of the sun at Fatima is one example. Uh, but this was God intervening in human history and telling him it's not going to work. And I'm saying if it didn't work then, it's not going to work now. But how does that apply to Israel? I mean, most Christians and Catholics do think Israel is the regathered Israel of the Bible and why did God let that happen why uh, why did he let evangelicals no uh, delude themselves well Israel as a nation right Israel fulfilled prophecy in terms of the Jewish perspective and now the majority of Christians you know judeo-christian Israel is proof that God is coming soon and you have a lot of that's the Adam Green thing, right? They say the reason why he's so against Christianity is that it props up Judaism, which both of right. them are begging for the same, you know, end time actions happening. The, the Adam Green has a very Adam Green has a very narrow view of Christianity. Uh, he's talking about the disorder in the church right now. I, I'm not even talking about the Protestants who have no right to have any type of accurate. I mean, it's just, you should know that enough by having been a Seventh-day Adventist and the story of Ellen White and that whole story. Yeah. But uh, the, the church the church is different, uh, but it's it's got problems as well. So why does God allow evil? Because he has to, because men have free will. You, if you wanted to, God, God could ban evil by simply destroying free will. Yeah. And then no one could commit evil. But he see, he allowed evil because he understands that a greater good can come from having rational creatures than no rational creatures. Yeah. So that's why he allowed it. But yeah. he doesn't leave it at that. He's not going to just say, okay, you can do whatever you want and thwart my plan. No, his, pl his plan will prevail according to his terms and in his time. And I think that's exactly what Ehud Barak is afraid of.
Okay. Okay. I was t- I was texting with Adam offline. So, if you're willing, I would love to talk to you for another segment just about like my view as a former Protestant versus Catholic because I know virtually nothing about Catholicism. I don't know why people would be Catholics from like from the Protestant perspective. So I think that would actually be very interesting if you're willing. But um, Adam Green. Okay. Um, Adam Green basically <laughs> got me to ask you. Um, so he's really big on this, you know, Christ cucks, you know, uh, Christians are cucks for Judaism. And he said, you know, would Jesus have had the power to redeem humanity if the Jews didn't crucify him? Dr. E. Jones. E. Michael yes, Jones. Yeah. of course. Of course he could. He, he's God. He can do it any way he wants. Okay. And he chose, this is from all eternity, this was God's plan. It's not to, oh, what do we do now? No, it's all been that from the beginning. God created man knowing that Adam would sin. Uh, but because he saw that this would bring about a greater form of redemption for humanity than if there were no Adam. And that redemption came with Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, And just because the Jews did it, it doesn't mean, uh, and it was a fulfillment of God's plan, doesn't mean it wasn't wrong, and doesn't mean that the Jews won't be punished for doing that, but this was the way God chose to bring about the redemption of mankind. Right. I guess that you know. He's done his, it anyway. I, I, if if you're asking me why he did it this, I don't, I'll ask God the next time I see him. <laughs> but it's obvious that he chose that. Well, they you know, I, apparently Adam's in much closer contact with God than I am because he knows all this type of stuff that I don't know. Yeah, well, I I see his argument right because he's trying to make the argument that both Christ, like Christianity does prop up Judaism, right? And I think that no, is that's wrong. That is complete. That's wrong. That's flat out wrong. If you look at the beginning of Christianity, it was a violent separation. And the Jews tried to destroy Christianity, and they they couldn't do it because the Christians had God's power behind them. But there was opposition. There's no preparing the way. They hated, I didn't hate, the the Jews hated the Christians, the Christians loved their enemies, but it was, there's no cooperation there whatsoever. It's conflict. And it's been conflict. I wrote the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Yeah. I was just going to say, what about about now? now. We've got an app. Well, I just mean virtually every Christian church. I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying if you want to generalize from now back 2,000 years, you're going to uh, run into problems. Okay. That's the problem. It's the sample that we're dealing with. I wrote this book because there is an aberration right now in the Catholic Church. That there are people, even the bishops, the American bishops issued a catechism which said the Mosaic Covenant is eternally valid. That's wrong. That's wrong. That That's the covenant that was tied up with the temple. It can't be valid because there's no temple. We were the ones who changed it. Culture Wars magazine, Bob Sengenis wrote the article, and the bishops withdrew their claim. Oh, nice. That proves that they're open to reason. Okay. So, so you, you do you see Catholicism? That, that, spe- story, that story is in the— Go ahead. That story is in the latest issue of Culture Wars. Great. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, so do you, do you see the Catholic Church as pushing back against the Jewish— like Jewish plan to take over the world in your, in your words, like do you, do you see Catholicism as being a meaningful pushback from this? Like I don't at all, you know, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm pushing back. You are, and, but uh, institutionally, a hundred years, a hundred years from now, a hundred years from now, they're going to write the history of the Catholic church and it's going to come down <laughs> to there was one guy who stood in the breach with that halberd. Just like in Vienna, you know, the wall is breached, the Turks are ready to pour into Vienna, and there was one guy who stood in the breach with a halberd and then finally held them off until the Polish cavalry arrived. (laughs) I'm the guy who's standing in the breach. Aren't you glad that I'm on your show? 100%. So is that— I can tell you, the Catholic Church— the Catholic Church is going to come around to my position. They've already done it. 
They've already done it. Uh, that What I just mentioned is when the bishop said that the Mosaic Covenant is eternally valid, we wrote the article, said that's heretical, and the bishops withdrew their statement. That's the type of change that's going to spread now. But man, the Pope's it's like, already happening. The Pope's hanging out with busloads of trannies. That's got to piss you off, right? Look, uh, trannies, yeah, I understand that. Like, but apparently he told them disco. that there are only two sexes. Uh, look, I he, he went, to, I'll, I'll give you an even worse example. He went to Uganda and told the Ugandans to decriminalize homosexuality. All of East Africa is based on a group of people called the Uganda martyrs who became martyrs because they resisted homosexuality. And the Pope is trying to get them to deny their own basis for existence. So what happened is the Pope left. Next day, the Ugandan parliament passed a law making homosexuality a capital crime. So that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I've already tried to explain to you. The it's, the it's the gay disco. It's happening everywhere, even in your church, isn't it? Like, I, It looks really gay to me. I'm not a Catholic, but... You know, but I, I see you being the resistance. So are you going to stop the big gay disco of the Catholic Church? Yeah, I, I am. I am. I am. That's exactly what's going to happen. Awesome. I, I want to be respectful of your time. Get to a couple quick questions. Uh, uh, we was but we was based. Can you ask Dr. Jones if he thinks ethnicity should play a role in identity as opposed to the concept of whiteness? Yes. Whiteness is, uh, you. if you say you're white, you're internalizing the commands of your oppressors. That's a political construct that is used as a form of control. It's always been that, never been anything else but that. It came into existence in Virginia uh, in the tobacco plantations to separate the Irish slaves from the, the African slaves. And, and white meant approval. When I was a Teenager, we used to say, when you did when you did someone a favor, you'd say that was mighty white of you. <laughs> Have you ever heard that phrase? No, that's before. That my was time. mighty white of you, which means that was that was nice of you to do that. That was uh, an indication that white was a form of approval. Now it's the exact opposite. Now, if you're white, you're a bad person. But it's always been a political category that was applied, a category of the mind that was applied for political purposes. Okay. A white boy is a Protestant who doesn't go to church anymore. Unless you're in Ireland and then a white boy is a Catholic who doesn't go to church anymore. So you think race is a social construct, as the far lefties say, basically? Yes, I yeah. do. Okay. I do. I think it's a social construct that was created for political purposes of control. Okay. Okay. And final one Division for and oh. control. Okay. Interesting. Go ahead. I, I do see that argument. Uh, my final one, and I'd love to have you on again to talk Protestant v. Catholic. I think that'd be spicy. Uh, my final question is, what motivates you? You're, you're, you're going every day. You're doing dozens of interviews a week. You know, you're writing. What's what's really driving you? Is it just ultimately to get the cred in the Catholic Church to have like a plaque, or or what really drives you, Doctor Jones? No, I don't have to worry about that. There'll be statues in my honor all over South Bend, Indiana, right after I die. Um, what motivates me? I, a desire to know the truth and to proclaim it. A desire not to be fooled. I mean, if you know the truth, you're not going to be fooled, right? I th and and once I get what I understand is the truth, I like to share that with people because I want to help people. So I'll tell you, I was in Africa and I'm talking about birth control in Africa, population control to a reporter in Kenya. And she says, why are you doing this, Mzungu? In other words, Mzungu is the Swahili word for white boy. Mm -hmm. And I said, because I'm a Catholic and I want to help out fellow Catholics here. And she was stunned that I would say that because she, obviously you're a white guy. Why are you concerned about black people? And I said, we have some type of common denominator. I think that's it because if it's anything else, I'm the stupidest guy on the face of the earth because I'm always telling people what they don't want. Why would you tell the Irish that they're not white? Why would any sensible person do this right now? Uh, it, if it weren't a desire to help these poor 
bastards out who don't know their ass from a hole in the wall because they left the church and became involved in sexual liberation. This is an act of charity. That's what motivates me. <laughs> Love it. Okay, I know you uh I know you got to get going, so I'm just going to end the stream here. Uh hopefully we can do it again and I'll just say a quick goodbye to you privately. Thanks so much, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. My pleasure.